there. Welcome to the Speak Up with Laura Camacho podcast. This is Encore episode 218 with a wonderful person named Gina London. And even though her last name is London, she's American and she lives in Ireland. Very cool lady. Uh, She used to work for CNN and she looks like she could still be working for CNN. She is just on top of everything. But before I let you know why I picked Gina's episode to be part of my three-part holiday encore series, I wanted to tell you, especially those of you who are new to the community, and I know that the audience for this thing keeps growing and very grateful. Thank you. When I interviewed Maz Farrelly, she was the reality television producer. I believe that was episode 215. She said, why do you do this podcast? It's a lot of work and there's no sponsors. It's free. My people don't like to leave reviews. I don't know why. I ask you, I'll ask you again, please leave me a a review, a five-star review and a little comment just like, life-changing wisdom. Thank you. Just something short and sweet. And I enjoy, I get to talk to to super interesting people one-on-one from my home office in my house. And I get to decide. I have a schedule and I get to just learn so many things from people who are top in the field. And that informs all of my teaching either through coaching or through workshops so I'm constantly updated and it's just great I mean I'd rather do this than go to a dinner party and just talk to these people because I get to control the conversation nobody drones on or if they do can interrupt them because it's my show because I'm the one that's bringing them to you beautiful smart well-dressed audience so it was so weird this episode originally came out a little over a year ago And very unusually, our interview had to be rescheduled three times. Once it was on her and twice it was on me. Like first she had a scheduling conflict and then another time we were having some work done on the house and that particular day was just too noisy. And another time our internet went out and, you know, she's in Ireland. So I don't know. (laughs) Somehow like. It was really crazy. That has never happened. But Gina is extremely knowledgeable and fun to talk to. We talked a lot about authenticity. And, and we know, we're both like such big fans of keeping it real. And I think you must be too. Otherwise, you would not be listening to this. There's so many business-related podcasts that are, you know, sometimes a little bit pretentious, in my opinion. So we talked about authenticity, that you don't have to be all things to all people about communicating at a higher level, uh, making your meetings better, getting more visibility. If you're relatable, then more people want to follow you as a leader. So you are going to love this episode again. Stanley trimmed it down a bit. So you're only getting the best of the best of my interview with Gina London on the topics of, again, visibility and authentic confidence so you don't need to have any more imposter syndrome you don't need to be fake you just be yourself Gina's and I are going to together give you some tips so that next year your communication is going to catapult you ahead so that you're making more money and having more impact 
Hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to leave a review and uh, keep in touch. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you, Gina. And tell us, just tell us about yourself and your journey to being the CEO of the Language of Leadership. As people are already hearing from my voice, as you've been saying, well, my last name is London. I live in Ireland. They're probably expecting this lovely melodic lilt and they're hearing this flat (laughs) American accent. Well, I was born in Indiana and my path to what I do now in terms of helping executives and organizations really power up their leadership communications comes from my initial background, which was developing myself as a little girl growing up in a town called Farmland, Indiana. And it really is just as the descriptor, it's the name and it also is the descriptor. It's just as you can imagine. I wanted to be a journalist. I was an avid reader and I read newspapers and I watched television and I saw these current events happening in these exotic places. And I thought, that's my way to get out and to tell stories of other people. I was enthralled by nonfiction. I think there's a lot of great fiction out there, but gosh, there's more than we can imagine from, from nonfiction in real life. But at any rate, one of the things that struck me early on. I was about 10, 11 years old, even when I wanted to be this journalist. And I wrote a letter to the editor in a newspaper that got published in a town near me, etc. when I was about 13. But right around this time of formulating your dreams and also yourself as a human being, my mother went up to her hometown, which was not farmland, Indiana, but it was near the Chicago region, a little bigger area, a little bigger city to visit her best friend who would often cut our hair with my brother and my sister and myself as she was a salon hairdresser and she would do our hair for next to nothing when we were visiting family. And the reason I shared this story is because inevitably they had this little routine, my mother and her best friend and her friend would look over at me and say something like, it's such a cute little hillbilly girl that you adopted. She has such a cute little accent. I think she should have a little stock of wheat coming out of her mouth. And I remember this was not just one time it was said. It was this habitual little comedy routine that they took great energy out of it. I was really at that. I, remember, I don't remember when the actual light bulb went on, but I thought, if I want to be a journalist... And in particular, I had this lofty, unimaginable dream of being a television journalist. I cannot speak the way I currently speak. By the time I went to college, then I was sort of working on neutralizing my accent because, for example, I ultimately became, as you know, a White House correspondent for nearly 10 years with CNN in the nation's capital, which I used to pronounce as a little girl, Washington. (laughs) <laughs> and there, I'm not saying that accents are a problem depending on where you want to go. And I'm not telling people to deny who they are and to become something different. But it was the beginning of my awareness of developing myself and taking my dream and layering on skills and abilities and qualities that would be more reflective of the me I wanted to be. So by the time I got to graduate from Indiana University, move into newspapers first in Orlando and then ultimately to Washington, D.C., Washington, notice that, (laughs) right? I had developed a little bit more of a neutral accent, but I didn't have some of the other things that I learned through time on camera, the storytelling, being able to crystallize a story and frankly, oversimplify a lot of complexity and projecting my voice, having on-camera presence. And so through that lens of 
that professional journalism TV thing. I then, after my CNN career, I was able to do some more strategic communications as I went on to become an international campaign strategist. And I lived and worked in exotic places like Egypt and Iraq and Jordan and Cambodia. I got to work with the first women, for example, who were running for parliament from Iraq and to help them tell their stories and separate themselves from a pack of men, frankly, who were running in the the newly developed country and government of that in like 2005 was amazing. And that, I guess, intersection of strategic communications, persuading people, telling captivating stories, and then the mechanics of how to do that construction and delivery That then has propelled me into working with corporations now, executives, emerging leaders, really any human being now who wants to become more confident and more comfortable about the way they connect with others and with themselves. That's what I do. And it's really my just heart and passion. Yes, it's so true. I did not know that story of the you know, how people were perceiving you because of the way you were presenting yourself in a very authentic way. But I have a similar experience that I just shared in this week's newsletter. It came up. I don't remember why, but I also remember going to camp away. I grew up in Georgia. I was born in South Carolina. Mm. Used to have a very, apparently, I didn't know it was, you know, when we're young, we don't know we have accents, right? We just talk the way we talk and going away to camp. And having people make fun of that accent, which I was cognitive dissonance in the moment. Like, what What do you mean? What accent? What accent are you talking about? It was bewildering how you could think that somebody just because of this accent is not intelligent. And I wanted to say, well, I'm a straight A student, but I didn't. But, you know, it does bring up that conundrum that, that we face because we all know that if we're trying to be someone who we're not, it is not going to come across as confident. And we're, I'm always saying, be yourself, be yourself. So where, how do you navigate the being yourself if you feel like part of yourself is not socially acceptable or not going to help you achieve your goals? I love this question. It is a conundrum. and It is something that people do grapple with. And my clients too. I mean, I've had couple of things. I've had executives tell me at the end of an coaching engagement with me, I said, you know, what's one of your biggest takeaways? And they, one in particular said to me recently, I found that it's not cheating. And I love that. I've also had initial reactions that when I was, we're talking about some techniques or strategies or purposeful communications, again, to help inspire and motivate. And I've had someone say, you know what? People just need to take me or leave me. This is who I am. And here's the crux of this authenticity conundrum, which I think we're talking about. The word authenticity has become really a buzzword of all buzzwords. Be yourself, be yourself, be your authentic self, bring your whole self to work, all of this stuff. And you can also have development and growth and awareness and ability skill, just like yourself when I was 10 years old in Farmland, Indiana, is not any less who I am today. It's just been enriched and accentuated and developed. So here is the definition of authenticity that I absolutely love and preach out to all of my clients and all your wonderful listeners now. Authenticity 
is the degree to which a person's identified values are consistent with their actions and their desired outcomes. So you connect your actions with your values and the desired outcomes. And that is really important to get a hold of because, first of all, it requires that you identify your values. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is something that a lot of people kind of bounce around their life reacting to things and defending things and digging in on certain things and kind of haven't really stopped and done that internal work. Like, you know, who am I? What do I stand for? What is my, quote, brand? Who's the me that I want to bring to this relationship to enrich the relationship? And we're assuming, of course, that you're doing all of this stuff for positive outcomes, by the way, because you can certainly use your powers for good or for division. We've seen that in in a number of different situations, but my leadership communications foundational principles are based on positivity and unifying and togetherness. So back to the idea, identify your values, think backwards from what that goal is. How are you going to have a mutually beneficial outcome? And then make some mindful choices. Don't bounce around like a pinball in a pinball machine reacting to things because you haven't prepared. You haven't thought about who your audience is and what motivates them and what are their hopes, dreams, and fears that you can reassure around. And then construct an engaging way of delivering or engaging content. And then don't just expect that your content's going to be enough, especially in business land. Bring some humanness to it. Bring some energy. Bring some emotion. Think about the emotions behind that content that you create. So I love unpacking all of those interconnected, simultaneously happening things that occur when we are communicating or experiencing someone else. I love unpacking them one by one. And then I love examining them together with clients and then repackaging them in a purposeful and a mindful and a meaningful way. And that to me is the glory of your self-acceptance can live in harmony with your self-improvement. They can grow together. Ta-da! Yeah, I love that. That that reminds me of one of my favorite ways to think about what you're saying, that the balancing of your being your authentic self along with self-development is that imagine that I had a 10-carat diamond just on my desk and imagine I showed it to you, you would say probably like, oh, that looks really nice. But if it's in a setting, a gold setting, then that same diamond ring is going to have a person much higher perceived value and people will be able to enjoy it more because of the setting, even though it's the same diamond. So that's, that's what brought to mind your story. I love that imagery. That's great visualization. Exactly. It's like, I love that. Thanks, Laura. You know, you can have your perspective and your viewpoint and your opinion and your culture and your religion and your points of view. And that's your values once you've identified and you're really going to stand behind them. And the way that you choose to share those in a conversation or in a team meeting or in an interview, it takes some wisdom and it takes some choices. The idea of being true and bringing your whole self doesn't mean that you're the bull in a china shop just going around crashing through everything. I mean, you can do that. Right. You're not going to show them the work on your elbow. You know, we're we're also (laughs) multifaceted and, you know, we can, we can yell our opinions 
or we can ask for someone else's point of view and then share based on what you're hearing from them. And the idea of being a purposeful communicator and understanding that our conversations are our relationships. I don't see it as this burdensome responsibility. I see it as a wonderful opportunity. Why would you not want to bring more people with you? Again, I know there's leadership style and communication style that foments all the worst in humans. I'm certainly not one who's going to be out there championing and advocating that style. I'm absolutely going to stand here and beg people to really get meaningful about kindness and how we do that to bring people together is more honest conversations, but in a way that respects and cares for each other. Right. It's like saying the truth with charity. You don't just say, what's wrong with you? You say, what do you think about your performance in this project? Tell me where are you coming from? To saying things that need to be said in a way that makes it easier for people to receive them, which is, of course, a little bit more effort, more work. Right. It's uh, yeah. more, more, it takes you. more work. Lord, there's strategy, there's structure, and there's delivery techniques. And why would you not want to learn them the same way you learn how to be a data processor or how you learn how to do web design or how you learn any skill, an engineer, a doctor, any skill that's worth learning is worth learning well. And by golly, communications is everything. Augmented reality and AI and all sorts of digital learning things that are going to replace a lot of jobs and a lot of humans, then we really owe it to ourselves to learn the human stuff so well. It's a lifetime commitment. It's not certainly something that's a one and done workshop, but get excited about it, endeavor it, recalibrate. Again, if you can accelerate your connections with someone and then accelerate through that, the work and the innovation and the creation and all the other good stuff that can be the outcomes of that. Why on earth would you stand back and go, well, no, just take me as I am. Yeah. That's of like a false humility, I think, or of some sort. I think so too. That's yeah. Great description. And I know you people listening are the people that are over delivering, over performing, and yet feel like sometimes you're not getting the credit for the work. And I know a lot of listeners specifically are concerned about kindness. And so sometimes they don't say what needs to be said because it will, quote unquote, hurt someone's feelings. I had just had my third or fourth case of a young manager trying to be kind to the people working. It was all females. And I don't know what the correlation is, but those are four conversations where the leader thought that the kind response was to pick up the slack to actually do the mm-hmm. task of the people that were reporting into that leader rather than it just seemed like mission impossible to hold them accountable mm-hmm. and it didn't seem like the kind thing to do. So Gina, tell us, yeah, how can you yeah, be so- kind with underperformers? Yeah. yeah, well, again, okay, case study, it's a great question. The idea of, remember, working backwards from what's the goal. 
Is the goal just to get the work done? Well, then every leader can probably do things because they're a senior and they probably know how to do things faster. But if the goal is really to empower and educate and encourage your team members so that they also can feel independence, a sense of autonomy, that sense of great reward of having a job well done or completed, then we've got to delegate. Again, we've got to be able to have difficult conversations to be able to provide worthwhile and actionable feedback, not just quick observations that don't have any real specifics attached to it. But again, the more that you can work back to what is the goal, what are my steps to achieve it? How am I going to bring people, again, awareness, responsibility, and suggested and commitments around an action plan to achieve it? It can't just be two. We've got the old command and control style where we just tell everybody to do what? do everything. Then we've got the, maybe the overly kindness where it could be potentially be a, a pushover. We're so nice that everybody just walks right over us. And we know that the leader is going to do everything. That's also not empowering and growing our teams. Because I think right. a team member, to get them excited, they want to see their own path to progression. They want to see themselves being able to move up the ladder or they're going to go into another organization. So you've got to be able to set boundaries manage expectations, understand that your assumption that the team member assumes where you're going to go with all of this is understood is probably wrong. So ask them, ask more questions, ask more questions, get them to make the jumps and the leaps, and then have them even come up with their own change management plan or their professional development plan. And then you are helping them to achieve right as opposed to doing it for them so you can be kind and you can also be someone who is helping the others do the work right it is not kind i think to do what other people can do for themselves because it's not helping them to be successful it's just like with you know those of you who have children we all know it's much easier to clean the kids room than to have them clean it but do you want to have a 21-year-old who doesn't know how to clean his or her room? No, you oh, do not. Yes. <laughs> and, that, so, and you know what? This is why the wonderful example, Laura, because these things are not limited to our jobs. We right. don't have a professional life and a personal life. We don't have one communication style for professional life and one different style for the personal life. We only have a life. And P.S., when I'm not talking on a podcast or I'm not in front of clients, I still say Washington to this day. That is because <laughs> it is who I am now. And that's the whole point of this is like, as you're on this path of purpose and learning more about how to behave and connect your actions to your thoughts, and it's an ongoing thing, but it is something that it becomes you no matter what communication event you're having. And that's really important. Right. So you're not just saving it for the big high stakes things. You're trying to do this stuff purposely all the time. And that's going to help you be able to move from what I say is the default where we are right now mm-hmm. into design. And then that design communications and leadership style becomes your new default. And that's really important. I mean, one example I give about learning these new skills and how to become the new you then is when I moved from the US to Ireland. So I've been here now seven years, and one of the first things I did was I had to buy a car. Well, for those of you who are listening who don't know, Ireland drives on the left side of the road, not the right side of the road. (laughs) And if you have bought a car and you were handed by the dealer the car keys and they expect you just to drive away, it is terrifying. 
<laughs> so, I know. Like, because your whole body by default has learned to drive. You've got this just instinctive way of driving and you come up to one of those many roundabouts that they're really fond of here in Ireland and in Europe and your whole body wants to t- go in the opposite direction. And it takes a lot of force of will and mindfulness to go in the other direction because otherwise you're going to crash into something. Yeah, so- no, I, I got to drive in South Africa and visiting my son and I felt like the cars were going to run into me and my it's- son, of course, couldn't stand it and made me, <laughs> he said I was going to get us killed because I kept driving too close to the center of the road. It was totally disorienting. And- and that's it. And so that's the same exact idea when if, if someone's trying to say, oh, I want to project my voice or I want to enunciate words better. I work with a lot of second language English speakers who work in English dominated organizations. And there's an, there can be an insecurity or self-consciousness factor about how well am I understood? Right. And working, working through some muscle memory around pronunciation is a little bit like relearning to drive because we've got into habits. We've got right. into habits in our in our decision making, in our reactions, in our preparation or lack of preparation for conversations and for meetings. And all of that stuff takes a little effort, like mm-hmm. you were describing in South Africa. But over time, if your son hadn't taken the wheel, you would <laughs> <laughs> and you would have had a safe place to practice, you would have gone into a oh, space. Absolutely. Now I can do that, which I promise anyone coming to Ireland, it's safe on the roads with me driving. I have a full <laughs> Irish driver's license now. It's all good. <laughs> but well, it, that, takes, that it does take work. It does take work, and it's but it's worth it. And it can, can feel awkward and it can feel inauthentic. But then again, I think leaning on your purpose and your values. And do you have a a specific exercise, you know, a DIY that the people listening to this can say, yeah, what? I mean, I'm in honesty and excellence. And, you know, we kind of had this vague idea of what's important to us. How critical is it? How useful is it to actually do an exercise and to just label I don't know, three or five values that are important. The, the, the value the value work is important. And I always say three. I try to go for a mm-hmm. magic number of three because in right. anything that I do, my methodology or my techniques are largely divided into three because I simply can't remember more than that. So, <laughs> right. what your, so what are your first three values? Write those top ones down. The other ones are probably subtext anyway. Right. But then what I try to do though for my three parts of strategy for any kind of communication, be it with your teenage daughter like I have, or a colleague or a supervisor, I just have three letters, A-I-M. So here's how you apply AIM. Think about your audience first. And this can take 20 minutes. It can take 30 seconds. The idea here is to think about it. Who are they? And I don't mean just demographics. Are they a new hire? Are they a supervisor? Are they a woman? Are they from whatever culture? Are they a direct communicator? Are they financially based? Are they more emotional? They're in marketing. Who are they in terms of how they want communication? Do they need their coffee on a Monday morning? Is it a Friday afternoon where they're really relaxed? Find out as much as you can about that person if you can. And then the next thing is the letter I. The intent is what do you want them to do with what you're going to say? Mm -hmm. If it's a policy change or you're asking for a raise or whatever it is, I find so many people do not have clarity on this. They have a mm-hmm. theme. They have a general idea. I mean, I've worked with top level C-suite people that 
think they're going to be speaking to the press and they haven't even nailed their messages. They don't actually know what that goal is. And that blows my mind. So understand really clearly, it's not just to inform, it's an intent of action. What do you want them to do? Even if it's just agreed to another meeting, know that. So then the third letter is M for message. Then you can say it. And I don't Mm -hmm. mean, again, think it. I want you to write down eight words or less of what the it is. What do you want them to do? And not just what, but why. Why is it going to improve their life? Why is it going to make something better? If there's a why attached to it and you got to be tight and you got to be emotional, aspirational, then you're more likely to get that agreement and moving forward to actually actioning it. And I promise you, this sounds so much simpler. Simple doesn't always mean easy, right? But this application can be very iterative and change the way you think about approaching a one-on-one, a team meeting, a big time presentation. Most times they're just throwing a bunch of information in a presentation that somebody knows what the heck is the point. But right. people checked out because they're like, I don't know what it's in there. There's nothing in there for me. Or you're not using language that's that's evocative to them because you're right. doing really technical stuff and they're the chief marketing officer right. or the other way around. And it's just this kind of stuff seems so basic, but it isn't done consistently. And so aim, practice aim there. That's my my strategy. Oh, tip thank you. All right. Have everybody wrote that down. Aim, audience, intent, and message. And the message, you should be able to be able to condense it in eight words or less and include the what and the why, because that's what people, that's what moves yeah, people is the why what, we're doing more, it. And one more quick point. Say that out loud, folks. Don't just do a presentation on writing or your okay. practice out loud. preparation. Practice it out loud because the way that you are going to say it in the hot seat you need to get that muscle memory. You need to hear yourself say it out loud. You need to say it with emotion. You need to say it with energy, passion, whatever that is that you're bringing to it. If you're just intellectually thinking about it and reading it, I guarantee you're going to stumble. You're going to put in a bunch of filler words. You're not going to be clear and you're going to undercut the authority of what it is you're trying to say. Exactly. You, you lose your audience. <laughs> And that's why they didn't get it because it was not clear. Yes. And it, 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 it does they require, check out. right. Everybody's overworked, overwhelmed, overzoomed, exhausted, and distracted. Yes. You could, that's one thing you can know about your audience. Yes. You can apply that to written emails are so way too long. People do way oh, too much in emails yes. and nobody reads emails. They skim them. And you wonder why you have to have this check out the thread of what was said because nobody knows what was said anymore because you're doing <laughs> too much in an email. Right. And also, I think that why I think we have to understand that the communication is not just a transfer of information, that it's like trying to transform or transfer priorities and ways of thinking about things, right? Because if it's just going to be a transfer of information, just Google it. (laughs) Correct. There's always a selling or persuasion piece of something. Why are you sending it? What do you want them to do? Say it and say it why so that it's compelling for them so they feel motivated to do it. If it's just change for the sake of change, nobody wants to do that. I want to talk about visibility and I want to talk about storytelling. And I want you to think specifically of people who are a little bit 
They're they're not born with the gift of gab. They're more thoughtful. Yes. They're they don't want to quote unquote waste people's time. Yes. You know, bringing up things, and then they notice that their colleague Pam or or Bob brought up exactly what they were going to say. Like, speak to that. We have a lot of highly conscientious people with high self awareness in this audience who are doing great work, and yet they feel like sometimes there is not recognized. Okay, so working visibly, first of all, it comes in many forms, and it's not just tooting your horn. It's not the one that's always going out and golfing with the boss or whatever. There are lots of other things that you can do, but I think it's important to try to do them. So one is have a great attitude. Mm-hmm. Say yes to projects. Don't always say yes back to our overly kind thing. Right. But do try to put yourself forward and be the encourager for others. Be that champion. Be that one who's leaning in on trying to do some things. So that's one. Also, I do think that relationship building and networking is important. And so you can find different ways to do that. Even if you're just asking your supervisor for a five-minute virtual or real-life coffee to say, just I want to get to know more about your professional journey, that's a real easy hook. A lot okay. of people can talk themselves out of reaching out because they justify all the different reasons why it, uh, there's no reason to do it or they're too senior So yes, do work visibly. And then for those of you who are thinking about how do I become a little more engaging and add story, and you were also just talking, Laura, about how sometimes stories can be really overly complex and you worry that I don't know how to be succinct and I haven't climbed Mount Everest, so I don't have a real story to tell. Right. I didn't have to (laughs) saw off my arm to save my life. Therefore, I don't have a story. Exactly. I once had the communications director of a really, really large multinational beverage company based in Stockholm. You can figure out what it is. She said that she never did personal stories because, quote, she never done anything interesting and it broke my heart. So a couple of things. Think about that the length of the story isn't as important as the connection or the relevance or your own little personal anecdote. And the more personal it is, often the more it is. And by personal, I mean like family and birthdays and a meaningful event. It doesn't have to be the grandiose mountain climbing or fighting off right. the shark. So connect to the theme. Like let's say the theme is we need to prioritize for Q3. And so there's a word priority. I like to help my clients identify a key word priority. Okay. Now, as you're prepping, or you can, the more you do this, you'll get faster. Priority is my keyword. What's a story from my childhood or from my recent past or an anecdote that works around priority? And I'd actually had this happen with a client in um, Southeastern Europe just in April. And his word was priority. So this is the example. I said, What's your story around it? And he said, I was doing a whole bunch of meetings back-to-back virtual land like I was working from home. And my three-year-old son came walking into the Zoom room and said, Daddy, would you please build this train set with me? And his initial response was, no way, I don't have time. And he clicked and said, wait, you're my priority. And so he stopped and he worked a little Thomas tank engine. You know, it took like five minutes. It wasn't like this elaborate giant set with trees and houses and And when he was done, he said his little son looked up at him and said, Daddy, you're my best friend. I love you. And Laura and everyone that's listening, that example was given in a workshop where we were working with these managing directors on how to embed story. 
Here's what was fascinating to me. The very next day, I was invited to the conference plenary session for this organization. And I had no idea that that guy was going to be actually telling at the kickoff of the conference, a story about reprioritizing for the next quarter. And suddenly, I'm not even joking. I'm just in the audience of like hundreds of people. Suddenly, I see as he's talking and they've got charts and figures, a slide comes up and it is that little child. And I know it was because I sat next to him at the dinner the night before and he'd show me a picture of his son. And I thought it was like a stock photo. It was so gorgeous. with a uh-huh. little train. And he told that story and it took about 20 seconds. And here's what happened. As soon as he then looped the point, which is important, loop your point then of why that was significant to Mm -hmm. your keyword and Mm -hmm. draw it back out to your Mm -hmm. audience about why prioritizing can give so many rewards. And then as soon as he did that, I saw the entire audience spontaneously stand up and applaud this guy. Oh my gosh. You know, and as a and as a trainer, you don't always get to see what your coaching, how it impacts people and how they use it or they don't use it, right? I almost (laughs) cried because this is the power of a small story inserted as a parenthetical or anecdote or as an example, but it's human. It connects with us as people. Many of us have kids. Many of us have known a kid. Many of us were once a kid. And, And these little seemingly small moments can have real punch and they can change The face that that person has or the impact that person has with other people, it can change the tone of a meeting. It can change the way people are feeling like, oh, another boring, all sorts of, you know, financials type of meeting. It suddenly makes it more human. So please try this. Find your keyword, connect it to a little story, make it short, link it back to the point, and then keep going. But watch what it does to people. That is so good because I think a lot of people in our audience, like myself and former once upon a time, think of stories as, you know, climbing Mount Everest or in general, a lot of more introverted professionals have a very high bar for speaking up because they think it has to like change the world, solve world hunger, and then I'll speak up. But that's a very simple anecdote. And I got goosebumps when you were telling it. And what a great example for him as a leader to share who he really is. Yes. Right? And I can and that's what people like, connect to. This guy, and I didn't know him that well because I come in for this workshop. I was meeting everyone for the first time. It was a five-day conference. And by the end of the time, I felt like I knew them very well. But someone came up to me afterwards and said, you know, I knew that that he had he told me that he was in, in, inserting this that morning. Because I mean it was that close oh, to quick of a yeah. And she says, Gina, before he told that story, my perception of him was that he was Mr. Slick, Mr. Gloss, Mr. Everything was perfect. We never heard about his personal side. And she says, in that short amount of time, it just changed the way that I felt about him as a human being, therefore also as a leader, et cetera, et cetera. And I thought, the ramifications from a small story. Again, you think, oh, storytelling, that's so cheesy. It can really change the dynamic of team morale, employee engagement, organizational culture, and the transparency of that leader. Absolutely. So I expect everyone listening to use this very simple technique. What is the keyword? What is the 
crux, what is the essence of your message? And then you can tell a story. It doesn't have to be a life-changing event. It can be, yeah, that you helped your child put together a train or you picked up some trash or for somebody or you ripped your stockings on a cold winter day and how did you replace them? I mean, that's what we identify with. This has been so good. I know we covered being authentic and what that really means and how you can be authentic and polished if that's something that's important to you and how to really show up as the person you want to be reflecting the values and even use this story technique to share your values with your team because you're constantly I mean, the people listening, I'm talking to you, you're constantly coaching, whether you're aware of it or not, you're coaching not only the team that reports to you, but your colleagues, they're looking at you and seeing, you know, how does Salamat do this? Or how does Laura do this? Or how does Mark do this? You know, we're impacting people a lot more than we realize. So it helps to use that aim. Who is your audience? What is your intent? What is your key message? So thank you, Gina, for this practical and impactful wisdom that you've shared. Tell everyone listening how they can follow you or how can people get in touch with you? Fantastic. Well, I'm global. That's the beauty of the virtual world. So you can find me and we can we can connect through a Zoom or what have you. A couple of things. First of all, I am really delighted to share that I do have an online video learning platform called The Language of Leadership. So that's my name, name of my company. It's also the name of the platform, languageofleadership.org. If you are interested at all, we have 120 videos and downloadable wow. PDFs that bring you on your own pace through a journey of executive presence, awareness of body language, working on your voice, working on your engagement, your writing. It really goes on and on and you have open access to it if you'd like it. And we have a summer sale going on too. So hi. Oh, all right. Okay. That's languageofleadership.org. You can find me personally at my own website, which is ginalondon.com. Also, I'm active on LinkedIn, which is how we met our mutual friend who then introduced it. I mean, it's the power of relationships. Yes. I'm also active, yes. of course, on, on the other social platforms, but LinkedIn in particular, I'm, I'm really active there. I have a heart to help any human being if they're oh. committed and they want to put the work in to raise their awareness, improve their desire, and really get into the day-to-day -day hard work discipline, what I call my ad principle, to mm -hmm. transform, not just inform, but to transform the way that we behave because our actions shape our thoughts and that's how we connect. Ah, so beautiful. Well, this has been great. All right, everybody. I hope you've been taking notes as I have. And we thank Gina and we will get together on the next episode. Thank you for listening.